to episode four. Wow, episode four already. Thank you to everybody for making this possible. Today is Friday, November 15th. I'm Max Weinswag alongside Brian Penzak. Brian, how you doing today, my man? Dude, I am chilling like a villain. Chilling like a villain, as always. As always. Guys, it's a good day today. Today, it's been a pretty stressful week for me, so take take a step back, relax, enjoy the podcast. First things first, crazy story today. I mean, not kind. it's not crazy, but it's kind of interesting to me. Apparently... That you can pay peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to this one university for parking tickets. I don't know what's going on up in Alaska, but the University of Alaska Anchorage campus has the option to reduce or cover the entire cost of their parking tickets with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That sounds like a world I want to live in. Right, so I don't know what JMU's doing right now, but hey, I will make you as much peanut butter jelly sandwiches as they want for me to get reduced to parking tickets. We pay $300 for our parking pass to begin with, and every parking ticket is $25. I mean, I mean, that's wild. Officials say that two 16-ounce jars offer a $10 credit, three jars offer a $35 credit, and five jars offer a $60 credit. Any unopened, commercially produced nut butter, almond, cashew, peanut butter, or any flavored jam would be accepted. Wait, are they just, like, doing this to, like, give food to homeless people? That's probably what it is. Maybe. They might, like, give back. I thought I thought you meant, like, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, like, you have a parking ticket and you just bring the central office a platter of sandwiches that you made. I didn't know you meant, like, canned goods. The, the report says that the university would take donations to their annual payment tradition until November 8th, so last week, to help combat student hunger. Okay, so, so the official so so the food goes to students in need, essentially. Okay, that's good. So that's it's good. it's a, it's not like it's not like we're paying police officers to eat PB and J's to not give us tickets. Yeah, no, I thought they were like paying off the local authorities with peanut butter and jelly for a minute. That was I guess I guess this is better, but that would be hilarious if that was the case. Yeah, but this is cool. This is cool. I wish more schools would do this because my I probably had eight parking tickets because it's hard to know when you want to park and when you don't want to park in a teacher lot or a student lot or or anything like that. So thank you, Alaska, for doing that. That's pretty cool. There's another wild story. According to the Huffington Post, this is interesting. This just came out recently. A strange glitch on your phone through this third-party vendor, sent tons of texts to phones nationwide. So this was interesting. One person said that they received a text from someone they hadn't talked to in over 10 years, and the person didn't even know they sent the text, actually. So according to this report, over 100,000 texts were sent nationwide. 168,149 texts were sent to multiple mobile op- mobile subscribers, T-Mobile, Verizon, and Sprint all had these issues. AT&T in the house, good job AT&T. But the Cineverse, third-party vendor called Cineverse, said that there was an internal maintenance cycle that inadvertently allowed these texts to be sent to these subscribers. They're deeply sorry about it, and anybody who was impacted by this occurrence is apparently getting a full month free for their phone. So if you're on Verizon and this happened to you, you're getting a full month free off your cell phone plan. Congratulations. That's wild. I mean, there was another there was another instance where one someone's friend had died. And this is pretty sad, but someone's friend has died and their phone wasn't even working. But they received a text. And and this is crazy. It said someone's it said it said Dakota, the word Dakota. And and this person had died. 
And the person receiving it was like, what is going on? It freaked her out. And she took it as a sign, essentially, that maybe uh, her friend was traveling uh, the states and, and they were in North or South Dakota. And that's freaky, man. That's, that's freaky stuff right there. So Strange Glitch sent out to tons of people. Uh, that was wild. Speaking on, on death... A different, a different, a different. What a great transition. Segways are what people are here for. Some people, or sorry, this recent report said that this obituary was found. So this obituary happened recently. And the obituary was saying that someone died, obviously, but apparently the person remained alive. This newspaper is apologizing because they, like, according to multiple of their sources, that this person was dead, and in Northeast England, uh, a, a man named Charlie Denagi, lifelong fan of, of sports in England, said that he was dead, and they checked with three different sources. And the, the, the newspaper said that they were wrong and that they were pleased. They said that they are pleased to be able to report that Mr. Donaghy is alive and well. And the paper wrote an apology published on Monday... They removed the whole obituary from the website and social media, and that his family is is like was freaking out. You know, his family was like, "Oh my gosh, what happened? What happened?" And it turns out that he's alive and well. So that's pretty scary. Uh, speaking about that, and I don't know, man. This place is getting crazier and crazier by the minute. So, folks, Charlie, glad you're still with us, my man. Uh, English newspaper, come on, what you doing? And the three sources. I mean, these are three sources that all said that he was dead. I mean, what is going on? So sources, you got to do better, too. How, dude, I wonder if his friends were just like, let's see if we could get him in the newspaper and tell them that he died. I wonder if it was just like a joke. Hmm. I would, you find, like, sometimes the reasons for things that happen are just ridiculous. Like, three dudes were just sitting around like, yo, let's see if we can convince the world that Charlie's dead. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's probably not what happened, but, like, that would be pretty funny if that is what happened. Guys, if you want to look this up, his name is Charlie, Charlie Don Donaghy, and you can Google it, and this is, this is crazy stuff. Um, one of my friends wanted me to talk about this interesting topic today, and I actually had a similar situation. So essentially what happened was my friend was in class, and one of the students next to him had breath that smelled horrible. And he didn't know what to do because he was trying to focus in class, listen to the professor, and every time this person yawned, he was sweating profusely and he was dying because of how bad this girl's breath smelled. And it got to my attention. I was in a similar situation freshman year. I was in class, but I was taking an exam, actually. I was taking a philosophy exam, and the person next to me, he had the breath that, that I've never smelled before. I mean, I felt bad. Like, you know, it's, I don't think he probably brushes his teeth probably flosses does the whole nine but there was something that every time he was breathing and he breathed really loud it just smelled horrible and i was like i can't take this exam ended up getting a b on the exam but i'm convinced that i definitely did worse because i just couldn't focus i was like what do i need to do i left twice i left the exam twice i told the professor i was like listen like i'll be honest with you i just can't focus right now and the professor was kind of questioning me i didn't know what to do i was like it's nothing that i don't think i can control it's just that the person next to me is just absolutely like smelling horrible today and so there i feel oh like, you said that to your professor yeah I, I, mean, I didn't say in exact words this guy sitting next to me smells horrible i just said like listen like the guy next to me is very distracting i 
I don't know what I would do as a professor if someone came up to me and was like, I can't take this test because the guy next to me's breath smells like ass. I, I don't know how I would respond to that. Yeah, like, would you, you would you let somebody be like... Because, like, it's a problem, I guess, but, like... In that situation, do you say, like, okay, you can take it again, or you say, like... Like, what do you what do you say to that? I, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know if... What do, you, what do you do if you're in that position? I was like, do I give this person a piece of gum? Do I... And I can't because I'm, it's a quiet, it's a super quiet exam... I can't just open up my pack of gum, give it to the person, and say, here, take this, without them thinking, like, oh, my God, is my breath bad? And then they're psyched out through the exam. I think, the, honestly, at the end of the day, if you're not in an exam, move seats. If there's an open seat. If there's not an open seat, stick it out, and hopefully the, this is just a one-time thing. If you're in an exam, honestly, you might just have to bring a pocket cologne with you, bring a pocket of cologne with you, and hope for the best, because if you put it in your... Backpack, maybe, maybe a like a carry-on cologne, and you start spraying it everywhere like a Febreze. <laughs> I mean, you would look. You just a little gotta funny. Febreze the dude next to you. You, you would look. Like, you would look a little funny, kind of, with if you raised a can of Febreze and you just went right on top of you. But hey, maybe you're maybe the people behind you are like, oh wow, what a nice guy. He's trying to freshen up the classroom. So you got to be the guy with Febreze in class. Everybody will love you. So listen. If you're in that scenario, I'm so sorry. I've been there. Other people have been there. It might just be be something where you have to be like, hey, I'm not going to lie. Your breath smells like shit. I feel like that's a similar situation to like when you're taking an exam and you're sitting next to the person that's sick and every 30 seconds and like you can count because it becomes predictable to go. Oh, yeah. And I've been on both ends of that. I've been that guy and I've also been the person sitting next to that guy just like, ah. Yeah, and there, yeah, and then there's always the cough. Oh, yeah. It's unfortunate. Our biology kind of screws us over sometimes. Yeah, it's weird. It's even worse when you go on a plane. And actually, speaking of smelly individuals, I have two guests on the show from two guests on the show today. One is from New Jersey. No surprise about how bad he smells. And the other is just someone I know who's pretty cool too. First ever time I've had two guests on the show at once. Welcome Brian Levy and Joe Altman to the show. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good today. No classes today, so we're chilling. Dude, I'm out here. I just got a class today, but they were pretty easy, and I got a little work done on my paper. It that's worked awesome. out. That's awesome. So Brian is sport and rec management. Joe is a history uh, major. And I wanted to talk about Brian. I want to get to you first, Brian. You just had an interesting summer. You went to Africa. Talk to me about that. What did you do? Why did you go? What did you take away from the experience? All right. So I went to the country of Rwanda, which is in Central Africa. And it was through a nonprofit organization called Kids Play International. So it was through JMU. It was a study abroad for sports and rec management. But we were working with Kids Play International, which is basically a nonprofit that promotes gender equity in sport in communities that uh, need direction and need a uh, need help with that kind of stuff so uh we worked with them i was in rwanda for two weeks we stayed in a village uh called ingwa for 10 days so we were in uh the kids play international guest house uh and each day we did something different with uh children with the children to uh teach them gender equity in sports, show them that uh, boys and girls can play together. 
and it was just a very humbling experience. Um, I learned a lot. I saw a different part of the world than we're used to seeing here, and like it, it just opens your eyes because you see how fortunate we are here, and um, it just it it just makes you want to do something when you're back here in the United States. So um, we've been working to see what we can do to try and bring what we learned back here to Harrisonburg, back to the United States. And that's pretty much it. That's awesome. That seems like one of a, one of a lifetime type of opportunities. Brian, thanks for that. Joe, I wanted to ask you about something. What's up? So Joe, for those of you who don't know, Joe loves sports, and Joe yeah. loves football in particular. He likes basketball too, but Joe loves football. And there's one key thing that we do here before football games, and it's tailgating. Joe, what's the best part of tailgating? Why do we do it? What's the point of it? What's your favorite part of tailgating? What should be done to improve tailgating that isn't already done? Talking about tailgating. Dude, the number one part of the tailgate is the keg. That's 100%. That's my forte. This man knows that. This is, Levy's actually the tailgate chair. I am. So I should, uh, I should give him full credit on this one, but I'll go ahead on it. I'll take it. So yeah, the keg. The thing with the keg is, a lot of people don't understand a lot of things about the keg. And so you gotta really, you gotta take care of the keg. The keg is the baby. The keg is like the baby of the tailgate. You have to nurse the keg through the tailgate. When you have a mini keg, it's perfect. Like you, it's like a smaller, like maybe it is like a, it's a family tailgate. Yeah, like, you know, extend the people there, 20, 25 people, it's perfect for a mini keg. Dress that fucker up, put it in like a little, uh, a little carriage, you know, you can cuddle it a little. It's a baby. That's the baby of the tailgate. You have to take care of it. You know what that means is you got to keep the kids away from it. All those people <laughs> that get way too drunk and want to come play with the baby. No, no. That's how taps break. That's how people just start up the keg start getting thrown around, first of all. Which, I mean, if they're empty, fair game. Fair game. Everyone loves good keg toss. Could be a good game. Good keg toss is fun. You know, you gotta have a a good good yardage, good throw, good times. But the absolute key is you gotta keep that tap. Do you think that tailgating makes going to the game better? Like, do you think that tailgating is almost as important as going to a game itself? I mean... At JMU, it's a little different. At, right. JMU, at JMU, you definitely need to tailgate. For the JMU games, they're pretty much non-competitive. So Fair you yeah, gotta, we really be you got to have That's some incentive thing. to kind of be there. Like, if we're talking about, like, uh, like professional football, like mm-hmm. NFL, like, tailgating is essential, but, like... You're, like the Jets, you're, you're, for example. Oh, I, 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 oh, oh, on oh, hold on. All right, for no. those of you who don't know, Br- Brian is a Jets fan. Joe is an Eagles fan. Jets aren't doing too hot. Eagles, Eagles could yeah, go I somewhere. Yeah, I would still, right I would put the Eagles in the still not doing too hot category. Just we have a lot more room to turn around. So do you think, Brian? Let's say that the Jets were doing amazing. Let's say that right now they were seven and one. Tailgating might not be as important because you're going and you're gonna have a great time. But now all of a sudden they're not doing so well. So if you have a losing team as your as your favorite team, that I feel like tailgating becomes important. I think tailgating is the least important when your team's average. Okay. Because when they're good. You want to get rowdy because you want to get hammered and watch your team just smash somebody. Yeah, okay. And when they're losing, that's the only way you can get through the game. It's like a coping But when place. they're average, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen today. Like, so I should actually, like, pay attention. Like, I can't yeah. get too hammered. Like, I gotta see what's going on. Yeah, if it's a close game, then you're probably going to be wishing that you didn't tailgate beforehand. Yeah. No, like, big games, big games are different. Like, Sunday So you night, wouldn't tailgate the Super yeah. Bowl? Or would you? Well, uh, 
See that? No, that's the thing. That's a huge game. So you're obviously gonna tailgate. That I game. personally would want if if the Jets were in the Super Bowl, I would want to be sober. When are okay. the Jets gonna be in the Super Bowl? Huh. That that's a very good question. Right. Probably not let's in my lifetime, say, but it's, say, it's it's we're just going with I, a hypothetical I mean, here. Okay. I said, well, I take that back. When the Eagles play in the Super Bowl, it's fairly sober until after the game. Because you want to remember that moment sober. You remember if the Eagles yeah. were to win the Super yeah. Bowl. Yeah, I can remember Brandon Graham specifically. So yeah. that's yeah. So that's a pretty good moment. The, the thing is with um, like the Buffalo Bills, if there was no tailgating, like who would go to those games? Fair like, enough. Yeah. Like it's well, like this time. That's what I'm talking about. This the bad t- teams. This time of year in Buffalo, New York, it's sub freezing temperatures. No one wants to sit outside and watch subpar football. But the tailgates and Bills Mafia is what brings everybody out there. So. In that sense, tailgating is very important. Speaking about sports, just recently, the Astros were kind of caught, not kind of caught, but it's been pretty investigated that they were cheating in terms of that the pitches that the opponents were throwing to the Astros hitters, the Astros dugout would essentially make a noise depending upon the pitch. So if you had a changeup, there would be two smacks in the dugout, or a fastball would be no, no bangs in the dugout. And it's different than tipping pitches, and they apparently used it when there was a camera on the center field looking into the catcher's hand signals. So, backstory, tipping pitches is essentially when the pitcher is doing something that the hitters are looking for that can tell them what pitch he's about to throw. Whether it's his glove moving up and down, or his uh, how his wind-up changes, but with this, this was different because it, he wasn't doing anything different. The camera was just deliberately looking at the catcher's hand signals, and based on that, the Astros had real-time feeds and were essentially banging the dugout depending upon what the pitch was. And so I wanted to bring this up. There's always cheating in sports kind of have gone hand-in-hand the past few years, where with the Patriots with the Flakegate or Spygate or um, something with Kurt Schilling's blood in his sock or something to get an edge with pine tar on a, on a pitcher's neck or anything like that. I want to get your guys' take here. Cheating in sports... Is it that big a deal to go in depth into this little things? Like, does this little thing make that much of a difference on, in a hitter for just because if you know a ninety-five mile an hour pitch is coming or an eighty-five mile an hour pitch is coming? Uh, this this is huge. The this whole Astros saga here. So I played baseball most of my life, and when you're facing a really good pitcher, it's pretty much a guessing game what pitch they're gonna throw. So if you're sitting, you're sitting on the curveball, you're gonna have to protect and foul off that fastball if it comes in and that's not what you're expecting but if you have someone tipping you the signs you could just sit on that curb curveball all day and drill it that's just not okay and i totally agree i don't know if that difference could have changed them being world series champions when they did this in 2017 it came out that this was in 2017 and who knows if they've kept doing it they probably have but that's baseball Joe, I know you're a big football guy, so I want to get to you about cheating in football. When a play is ran, say, in the first quarter, the coaches are able to get real-time feeds on their Microsoft surfaces. With the play is over by this point. Are those Microsoft services enabling them to essentially say, hey, this play was used before, I'm essentially going to get one leg up over in halftime, we're going to now choose a play just to stop that specific formation, or do you think it's fair that both sides get that same advantage and it's completely different? No, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, if your quarterback can't... It, all right, so it's one thing if your quarterback can't read the defense before a play and they like, can't read maybe like Sky's coverage or something. It's another thing if your quarterback can't read the play like after it happened. 
Like, if you're telling me that that coaching staff and that quarterback was already walking off the field saying, oh, I don't know if they ran there, that's that's a problem. That should have been addressed much earlier than these, when these Microsoft surfaces came out. So I'm not I'm not worried about any of that. The Microsoft surfaces they they don't they don't play any part in in stuff like that. It's more um, it's just it's it's more you get like the disguise coverages is what it is. It's stuff like that. Like you gotta hide what you're trying to do. So that that's the whole point of that. My thing is what's kind of interesting is every week they release this thing on YouTube. It's like NFL films and sound effects. And so let's say the quarterback is has a mic and he's calling the plays. In theory, somebody knows every single play for every single team because this quarterback is saying these play calls in the huddle. He gets to the to the line of scrimmage and he runs the play. Somebody has a is in charge of all these plays ran. And this is a little different than when Bill Belichick did Spygate. Brian, I know it was against your team, so you can speak on this if you want to. <laughs> but somebody could leak those in theory, and that scared me. That scared me that somebody has all these videos of plays being ran from the quarterback in these playbooks, essentially all in these videos, and they're never released. I don't know how much we trust the NFL with these videos and sound effects things that they do. Well, the thing is with the playbooks is every one of your formations should be pretty balanced. Like you should, you should. It shouldn't be like, oh, if they're in this formation, they're running this play. It should be like, oh, there's still a number of things they can do. If they're in this formation. So, if so you it wouldn't be like the end of the. Like it shouldn't be like the end of the day because you should have a balanced playbook in general. But if you so, so you had the whole Jets playbook. You're a coach. You're playing the. Jets. I mean, obviously it's a huge advantage. Don't get me wrong. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying that if your playbook is so limited to where if you just line up in a certain formation and they already know what play you're running, that's probably an issue. I understand. I want to get you guys out of here with some rapid-fire questions that have nothing to do with what we've talked about. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? So, uh, Halloween, uh, one, of the, one of my older friends was talking to me, and he came and he told me, uh, well, I was talking about a girl. I was thinking, I was like, I might just go home with this girl and like just bounce out of the party real quick. And he said, no, no, no. Instead, instead what you need to do is... Uh, you need to listen to the words of Lil Wayne. He said, uh, you can't, you can't, you can't be, it can't be all about girls, it's gotta be with the boys. So, my mind's been about five words, so, best piece of advice I've ever received is, when in doubt, three's up. God bless, God bless Dale. Dale. Yeah, Joe, explain this to me. Explain the whole Dale thing to me. Alright, so, we, my roommates are in another fraternity, and they, their philanthropy was like, they, they like, volunteer at this. It was, like, a thrift store or something, like, in a town, like, 20 minutes south of here. And uh, they brought back, like, little trinkets because the lady was like, oh, thanks for helping me. Like, you can have some stuff. And so they brought back, like, this clock that just said Dale Earnhardt on it. It obviously didn't work, but it just said Dale Earnhardt on it. So it just sat in our house for, maybe like, a month or two. And then one day, we were watching football, and we started seeing ads to the Daytona 500, and we were like, this is awesome. We're going to get really excited for this. So then we put it together with the Dale clock. We said, well, he's the fucking best racer of all time. So, like, clearly we need to honor him. So then I came home one day, and my roommates were two or three beers in. They put their empties out in front of the Dale clock, which is now moved right in front of the TV. And they said, we're drinking beers for Dale and watching an old Daytona 500. And I said, yes, this is exactly what I need to do right now. And we all just got hammered and watched Daytona 500 and put our beers down in front of the Dale. And that started the Dale Shrine. And then it just we just kept doing it from there. And then we, every Sunday we'd watch NASCAR. And keep drinking, and eventually the shrine got so big it had to go up on like my like my cabinet, like you know, like you have like a graveyard like on top of all your cabinets. We had a shrine at Dale Earnhardt. It was a shrine in the middle, and then we had like beer cans. It was like four rows deep, stacked on top of each other, and it was wide as wide as hell, dude. It it covered a, a good part of that wall. 
Last question. Best drunk food? Probably cookout. I mean, mac and cheese bites from sheets, but probably cookout. Best drunk food? You've never had this. You've never had this. Real New York pizza? I've had real New from, York pizza. Nah, nah, from Pizza Town, USA. Pizza Town, USA. You gotta try it. Up in, up in North Jersey. I think it's in uh, Elmwood Park. All right, you guys heard it first. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Joe, for coming on the show. Uh, go Eagles for Joe. Go Jets. Oh, yeah. We send, pass, some, send, some prayers, send some yeah. prayers for the Jets. And I'll see you guys later. Thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. That was a great interview. First ever time having two people on the show. You never know what we're going to talk about. Brian and Joe are both one of my good friends, and I'm, I'm glad they could come on the show. Episode four has been kind of sports-heavy. I'm okay with it. I really like sports. I know not too many people are too fond of it, uh, depending upon where your interests lie, but I definitely wanted to eventually have a sports-heavy show because we are getting into the thick of things in football, and this cheating thing was so important with baseball, and I'm glad earlier in the show we got to talk about smelly breath and uh, people dying or not dying and texts being sent out. And oh, yeah. It's been a fantastic show. I mean, I mean, there's a, there's a lot we've talked about, and listen... If you have any topics that you want me to talk about, let me know. A lot of these topics are sent in through people. I just kind of look at my news feed. I wake up to different news every morning, and, and I get it sent to my email. So if you guys have any topics to talk about, let me know. I do want to end on one topic that is kind of cool to me. Plain etiquette is something that I don't think is talked about enough. And when we go onto a plane whether it's a 20-hour flight, a 3-hour flight, or anywhere in between, or 30 minutes away, these leg rooms, the comfortableness of the chairs, whether you get peanuts or pretzels, whether you can bring on a carry-on, whether you can check bags in without having to pay, whether there's a baby next to you crying, or in this scenario, just breaking news, from the Toronto Sun, somebody rested their feet barefoot. Barefoot. So, so this person didn't have shoes or socks on right on top of someone's headrest. And we were talking about the, the bad smell earlier. Imagine the smell of someone's bare feet right above you on the headrest. Granted, I don't know how safe this is, thinking about this. If the plane were to crash and your feet rolled up on you and, and hit your head, and that's probably not a too uh, comfortable position to crash in, but I mean, I don't understand it because why didn't this person even ask the flight attendant? Obviously that was bothering them and according to this article actually okay so she actually did and uh she did and the guy wouldn't keep doing wouldn't stop doing it but they were already 40,000 feet in the air and so there's nothing that they could do and, and I mean, what they could have just like throw him out of the plane but that's probably that's pretty unethical so I don't think they're gonna do that I mean they could take the take the pen in front of you and, and stab the foot maybe <laughs> You know, some sort of a resourceful... Good, foot stabbing, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Some resourcefulness there, but... Planes, really... Apparently, it's a sin, actually, to uh, try Diet Coke on a plane because it takes so much longer to fizz down because of the carbonation. It's different, apparently, if that's what flight attendants say. And I don't understand why, but if you're in a plane for 20 hours... There has to be a better way to, to get yourself some room here because I'm, I'm six foot two. I'm 190 pounds. I'm a big guy. And my knees are just touching the seat in front of me constantly. And I'm sitting in a plane for 20 hours straight. I mean, I need to get up at least every three hours. 
I don't understand why we can't just save people's rooms and just eliminate three, four rows and just spread them out more. Maybe they are not more cost affordant or cost efficient then, but something to think about because there has to be a better way than to get my knees cramping up every single flight. I mean, you're going to have to pay more money for that then. That's true. I guess if, that's if why... If everybody's, like, cool with paying more money, then, yeah, planes would be more comfortable, but people aren't, so they're not going to make them more comfortable. Yeah, I guess I guess first class is put there for a reason, uh, you know, for people to pay, but there has to be something for commercial users, but we'll see. In, in the NFL, what if you have a 300-pound offensive lineman? What are you doing then? How do you fit three offensive linemen in a row that are weighing 300 pounds and 6'7"? I mean, their knees, that's what I need to get on they the don't, sh- They don't sit and coach. Their teams buy them first-class tickets. Fair enough. Or they just have their own plane. But there's definitely some people that can't fit in these plane seats that are your everyday people. I mean, there has to be a solution here. We'll think on it for next week. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Folks, it's been a pleasure. I've had a great time this episode. Two guests on, sports, bad breath, plane etiquette, people alive or not alive. It's been awesome. Create some peanut butter jelly. Give it to your university. See what they say. Maybe you'll get a credit off your parking ticket. Who knows? Once again, for Brian Penzak, I'm Max Weinswag. You always get to where you're going by walking away from where you've been. I'll see you next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Mm-hmm.